Well, hey, um, whew, it's good to be here. It's good to be with you. And um, I want to start this morning by just talking about a little bit of kind of my view of how I've understood what being a Christian is uh, throughout my lifetime. Now, part of the deal is like I grew up in church, which, you know, there's part of that that's great, right? But the bummer is like I don't have a real, you know, dramatic testimony, right? You know, I'd be in church. Anybody grew up in church and you'd be in church, you'd be a little kid and you'd hear people with these amazing testimonies like, before I met Jesus, like, I was in a gang or, you know, I was on drugs, I would lie, steal, cheat, fight, party, you know, but, but then I met Jesus and my life was changed, right? And I love those testimonies. I always have ever since I was a little kid. Love those testimonies, but Confession, I have always been jealous of those amazing, awesome testimonies, right? Because I had a boring testimony. Anybody else here with a boring, like, testimony? Yeah, right, you know? So, you know, I even thought for a little while, I'm kind of creative, you know? So I thought, well, you know, I want to point people to Jesus. So, you know, maybe add a little drama to my testimony, you know? Like, um, I prayed to receive Jesus at age five. But before that, I struggled, like, learning multiplication tables. That, like, did me in. I mean, I was, I was addicted. Age four, I was addicted. I mean, there were not enough graham crackers in milk to keep me satisfied. I was hardcore, hardcore. But yeah, none of that really works because I, I grew up in church. I grew up in church. Um, I think I was five when my parents uh, moved from the Catholic church to a Protestant church. Sometimes I'm still not sure about that because from what I remember in the Catholic church, we had like one short service every week. And we go over to the other church, and there's Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other prayer. Anybody move to a, go to a church like that? Like, whew, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Um, but growing up that way, there were benefits. You know, there were some good things. I mean, I prayed to receive Jesus when I was really young. And just thinking back, you know, my memory from now uh, on what I remembered, what I grasped about being a Christian from that young age was I knew that Jesus wanted to live in my heart. I knew that Jesus would forgive me of my sins, which, you know, also I learned pretty quickly that meant that I would go to heaven and not hell, which is appealing, you know, even at age five, right? That's still pretty good. Um, you know, I knew that being forgiven, uh, that I wouldn't feel guilty all the time, so that was good, right? And then I got older and kept going older and learned more. I learned eventually someone told me that, you know, Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a what? Some of you have heard this uh, relationship, right? And I thought, wow, you know what? I, that's, I want that. I want to be in a relationship with God. I want, to, I want to know God. And then the best understanding that I had and people around me had was um, knowing God was kind of a version of discipleship that mostly meant and was focused on knowing more about the Bible, which is really good. I'm really grateful, and it helps, but it's not the same as knowing God, and it would take me a long time to uncover and discover and learn that. But then moving even past then, when I was in high school, um, I joined a discipleship group because um, we wanted to get serious about how to, you know, be more serious about our walk with God and served in church. When I was in high school, I quit all my extracurricular activities in the school to spend all my time um, doing, leading Bible studies on campus at school and doing ministry with our youth group and all that fun stuff. Like, I was giving my money, I was tithing, actually learned, my parents taught me well, from like second grade when I had my first paper route, probably even before that when we had an allowance, learned that practice of giving, tithing, um, and those are all really good things, 
really, really good things. Um, I know that even then, of course, in high school, like, I start figuring out, like, okay, well, I'm being discipled. I'm learning all this stuff, but I'm still, you know, I'm frustrated because I'm struggling with sin. So I thought, well, the next thing to do, I guess, is to get really good at behavior modification. So do this and stop that, you know, you know, fix the bad habits so that I could at least look like more of a Christian, I thought, I guess, is kind of my understanding. And listen, again, doing the right thing is almost always better than doing the wrong thing. But my strategy here for kind of spiritual growth was to get more knowledge, more theology, more Bible, more correct doctrine, better behavior, and hopefully, hopefully maybe I would start to act like a better Christian. It was a lot of kind of head knowledge. I thought that's what the spiritual life was mostly consisting of. And Long story short, it wasn't until I was in my 20s um, before I heard someone preach a message, and I'm sure I heard the message before, but something hit me in my 20s when I heard the message, probably because I hit a wall of pain, um, that, that God didn't just want to forgive me of my sins, get me into heaven when I die. He didn't want me to just memorize the Bible, study theology, give and serve in ministry, that, that Jesus' first concern was not my behavior. It wasn't about accumulating more knowledge, more Bible or theology, more correct doctrine, better behavior, learning to be a better Christian was not the main point for Jesus. And by the way, all the things I listed right there, those are really good things. Don't hear me knocking that. Those are really good, important things. But I was all the way through Bible college before I heard the message loud and clear and taught from Scripture that God wanted to heal and restore all of me. Like, yes, the spiritual and intellectual parts that I'd already known about, but, but also the emotional, the physical, the relational aspects of my life as well. See, what I didn't know before then was that the gospel Jesus preached is actually intended to bring holistic restoration, right? Restoration to every part, to the whole of us. And so this morning, we're going to return one last time here to the passage we've been looking at in Luke chapter 4, because it's here that Jesus spells out clearly that his gospel, which is a word for good news, his gospel is one of holistic restoration. And so we're in this series um, that's going to take at least through the year here, we're calling it Jesus uh, for everyone, the book of Luke, Jesus for everyone, and it's all about Jesus, and Jesus is for everyone. Now, we're going to pick up this story, and if you haven't been with us the last few weeks that we've touched on this, um, let me give you the context real quick. Uh, Jesus is about 30 years old at this point. Um, that's the age that a rabbi who was a traveling teacher would, would begin their public ministry, so same for Jesus. So what he does is he returns to his hometown of Nazareth. And here in Luke 4, I'm sure he's preached before, but this is the first like, record um, of a sermon that Jesus preached, which again tells us something. Luke thinks this is really important for us to know. And so um, what we're going to read here is Jesus' mission statement. This is crucial, actually. If we had to sum up the statements here that we're about to um, hear Jesus proclaim that the mission statement of Jesus, which he's about to give, in one word, if we were to sum it up, it would be the word restoration. Restoration. And so now everything else that we read in the book of Luke past this now, these are all going to be stories of 
teachings of restoration that demonstrate Jesus being on mission, bringing this restoration that he's announcing right here. So here we are, Luke 4. Picture it, Jesus stands up in the synagogue, which is what you do if you're going to read from the scriptures, and he opens the scroll to where we would call Isaiah 61. He begins to read, and by the way, he could have chosen any one of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies to launch his ministry, but he chooses this one from Isaiah 61 because it announces his mission statement. Listen to this, verse 18. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And by the way, that word we've talked about, gospel means good news. He's preaching good news to the poor. And also we talked about how the poor here in the Hebrew mindset was not just financially poor, it was that, but also people who were the outcasts were considered the poor. So, so you could have money and be a tax collector and you'd be considered in the poor. Um, you could be someone with low social status. Uh, women in that day were not seen uh, as highly as they should have been. They would have been included in the category of the poor, lepers, tax collectors, all of them, Right? That's who Jesus' announcement goes out to. Good news for all the outcasts, right? And again, Jesus, before we read on, Jesus is announcing that his goal here, it's to preach the gospel, the good news, and then we go, okay, so what's the good news that he's about to bring? What's the good news, right? Okay, let's read what he says next. Spoiler alert to the gospel's not just about forgiveness, although yes, forgiveness is included. Here's what the gospel is that Jesus outlines right after he says, I'm going to preach the gospel. He says this, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we paused a couple of weeks ago and looked at how that word, the Lord's, year of the Lord's favor is the year of jubilee. That's, that's a year of God's grace. It's a fresh start. It's a starting over. That's the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, it's here. It's now in me. I'm bringing it. It's available. It's available. So again, Jesus, when he talks about what the gospel is that he's coming to proclaim, it's not just forgiveness, and it's more than heaven when you die. His mission on earth includes healing the brokenhearted, freedom for the prisoners, blind eyes open, release for the oppressed, good news to the poor. It's a gospel of freedom, of healing, of release and recovery. Jesus says, I'm coming to restore all of life, all of creation to where it was intended to be. And for me, when I first heard this, that was so much bigger than I had ever known or been taught or thought was even included in what Jesus was concerned about when it came to our lives and our walk with him. Now, when we looked at this passage the last time I spoke, a couple weeks ago, um, I said there's two of these direct ways, there's two direct ways that Jesus' mission of restoration impacts each one of us. Two of them. And I covered the first one the first week. And number one was that Jesus wants to bring restoration through us. And so we talked about how God's plan all along has been to partner with the people to bring God's restoration to our broken world. And he wants to do it through you and me. That was a couple weeks ago. And now this week, I want to look at the second one. So Jesus also wants to bring restoration to us. Right? So he wants to bring restoration through us and to us. And friends, you know, I just, 
think about my life, I think about the people I know. I think about our church family and just that whole concept of needing restoration. Like we just need it so badly. You you know, friend, (laughs) Jesus sees what you have been hurt by, wounded by. He knows what you have been shaped by and he wants to heal you. He wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to deliver you from the stuff that grips you, the shame that drives you. He wants to open your eyes and restore your sight, the places that you have been blinded. He wants to set you free. And that's why this week and the rest of our time, I'm gonna focus on Jesus' restoration to us. And by the way, it's not just a part of us, right? Again, it's a holistic restoration, and it makes a difference in all areas of our lives. Yes, it does the spiritual, the intellectual. A lot of us get that part right. But also, his restoration comes to the emotional, the the physical, and the relational aspects of our life as well. Now, when I talk about this idea that Jesus wants to bring restoration to, to you here and now, just not just after you die, I kind of imagine maybe at least two common responses that might be going on in some of you, and I'm projecting this from when I first heard this taught, and those two responses, when you hear about restoration for some of these other areas that maybe we don't think about, restoration of the heart especially, the two responses might be hope, rises, or terror, <laughs> Terror. Actually, it's several pages written on that that I had to cut out. Um, (laughs) Because, again, it was a reaction that I kind of noticed rise up in me when I first heard this teaching because it messed with my understanding that I'd been brought up with of what discipleship was and what the Christian life was all about and what the gospel was. And when I first started to understand and grasp the importance of trusting Jesus with all of me, especially the emotions or feelings or the hurtful experiences, when I heard that he wanted access to that, I was terrified, right? Some of you know, right? It's like, no, 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 no. I am not going there. I don't want to look back anymore, you know? I could even misquote the verse that says, you know, forgetting what lies behind, we press on, right? And that would be twisting scripture because that's not what that verse is about. People use that as an excuse to not look at their past. That is not what that verse is about. Not a good idea. And I think about looking back or at wounds or places that need restoration. And I'm like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to look back. I don't want to deal with my emotions. I don't want to deal with that pain. Let's, let's just stick to the spiritual and maybe the intellectual side of Christianity. And we'll just call it good. That's enough, right? Well, at least one problem with that, um, in the words of pastor and author Pete Scazzaro, is this. He says, you can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Hmm. Can't be spiritually mature. You can't be a full-grown disciple. You can't be a mature leader, believer, pastor (laughs) without addressing the emotional side of your holistic life because you're a whole person. You know, and that thought just in that small quote might be sobering enough for some of us to stop for a moment, even in our terror, (laughs) and wonder about some of the assumptions that we've made about what it means to be a mature follower of 
Jesus. Now, again, when I talk about this restoration thing, restoration, especially when I start talking about the heart, right? Again, some of us are going to feel terror, like, I don't want to go there. But for others, um, I know that hope begins to rise in you. Hope begins to rise up because your heart knows that we do need full restoration. Not just heaven when we die, but the kind of restoration that begins here and now in this life. And the gospel good news that Jesus preached here in Luke 4 is that he came to restore us, all parts of us, not just the segment of our life that we call our spiritual life. His restoration is available to all parts of you. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, Scazzaro points out this. He says, most people, and he's talking about Christians, most people, when asked about how it is that God shapes us, focus only on the spiritual, prayer, reading the Bible, serving others, tithing, and worship. By the way, all really good, important things, right? Those are good, important things. But he goes on. The problem is... We are more than just spiritual beings. God made us to be whole people. He made us in his image, says Genesis 1. Whole people, that includes physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and relational dimensions. And so friends, just even in the vein of that thought, Jesus wants to bring restoration to all of your being, including restoration for your body, your heart, your mind, your relationships. It's this holistic restoration that he offers. And to get a little deeper in that, I just want to look at one phrase from the mission of Jesus. Um, The Isaiah 61 passage uh, quoted by Jesus in Luke 4 says this, God has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted, broken." Hearted. And what we need to know about that phrase um, is, is that when God speaks of the brokenhearted, he's not like using some poetic metaphor, just romantic, but no, he means it. He means brokenhearted. And the Hebrew word in Isaiah 61 for this word brokenhearted is leb shabar. So leb is for heart, and shabar is for broken. It means to be brokenhearted. And just stick with the leb for a second here. When, when the Bible talks about our heart, about the leb piece here, it's not just talking about our feelings, right? See, we have to have a fully engaged heart to actually live and to live well. Like, you can't have close relationships without being engaged in your heart. You can't live a life walking with God without your heart, And so when scripture talks frequently about heart, the heart, it means that center core of your being, that deep place in you, that's your heart. It's your heart. That's the leb part. And the wisdom of scripture, all through scripture, knows that a broken heart, living with a broken heart, can result in a deep pain that keeps you bound, that keeps you stuck. That's why God wants to get to our heart. In his book that I highly recommend, Waking the Dead by John Eldridge, he points out that Isaiah uses that second word, shabar, broken, 
a few different times in his writings, and I found it helpful to look at those few different times. In Isaiah chapter 27, that word shabar, broken, is used to describe a, a bush whose twigs are dry and they are broken off. Just get that picture in your mind. Um, I mean, shoot, just think about all the rain we've had here in Arizona in this season. It's been a lot of, uh, anybody else have a lot of weeds growing in their yard here, right? Um, anybody have a pretty good yard, but your neighbor's not taking care of their weeds? Yeah, that's us here at church. Um, when you look at our front there, we've actually paid professionally to have it sprayed twice. Um, they're still not dead, uh, but I digress. But what, what, I'll be glad that no matter what, however, you know, whether we get out there and pull them or something up, eventually we just know because we live in Arizona, they will finally dry up like this kind of imagery right here. They'll dry up. Um, because we live in Arizona, you know, all the stray weeds will just dry up. They will break off, and it's welcome to tumbleweeds, right? This is where this comes from. But now shift that dryness thought from plants to dryness of our hearts. Think of your heart as a dry bush whose twigs are broken off. How does your heart resonate with that imagery? Maybe your heart even feels a little like that today, dry broken, worn out, withered, even hopeless. Maybe like nothing will ever feel new or feel, feel filled with life ever again. That kind of broken heart. Let's look at another one, Isaiah chapter 38. They use that word, he uses the word shabar, broken. Again, he uses it this time to describe a broken bone. Anybody ever broken a bone before? Just a few of us, wow, okay. Like, it is painful, let me tell you. And, and today, I'm grateful for medicine, because today, usually you can fix a broken bone. And even so, sometimes it doesn't heal quite right. But imagine back then, ancient times, who he's writing these words to, those people, like they had no x-rays. So even if you, you know, can't see it clearly, you know it's still broken, but you can't maybe do something about it. Or maybe if you could really see it badly broken, you didn't know for sure how to fix it. There just wasn't that kind of medical understanding. And so back then, a broken bone or a shattered bone often left a person limping, left them disabled for the rest of their life. So that's the threat of broken bones in their context. Now just hold that kind of brokenness up to your heart and I know that some of us have had those kind of heart breaks. That, that even eventually, even though it hurts sometimes a bit less, but still can leave us with a limp. Because our heart has been broken. And you may even think that your heart will be forever broken and unable to be healed. You may know that kind of heartbreak. Because if so, <laughs> I got some good news. Jesus is talking to you right now in this. Let's look at one more. Isaiah 21, chapter 21. Shabar, broken, is used to describe the idols of Babylon. They're lying shattered on the ground like a statue shatters into a thousand pieces if you knock it off the table. 
<laughs> Anybody ever uh, do that or have a kid do that, right? Just break, break a vase or a glass or a statue, like beyond repair. You can't glue it back together. Anybody else? Is this just, again, this is just me. I'm the only clumsy, a few clumsy people in the room that are confessing. Tell on your husband, wives. Go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, there we go. There's a couple more. Okay. Um, but when you look at the shattered pieces, you go, ah, I can't. There's nothing I can do on this one, right? Like it's that broken. It's that shattered. And now take that picture of that sort of brokenness, that shattering, and compare it to your heart. That kind of shattering that comes from losing a loved one or losing a dream Losing a marriage that leaves you feeling shattered, broken hearted. Personally, I, I get that picture. Because it's more than a picture if you're going through that. That's reality, that kind of brokenness, isn't it? Now, with all those examples, hear me. All of that... <laughs> Stuff is the kind of broken shabar that Jesus is saying he has come to heal, to restore. Dry and brittle broken, or painfully leaving you with a limp broken, or shattered, seemingly beyond repair broken. That's the kind of restoration he wants to heal and restore and bring to you. And in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, when God says he has come to heal the brokenhearted, he is speaking literally. He is saying, I picture him saying, your heart is now in many pieces, but I want to heal it. Maybe that's just part of why it's so good to read some of these stories of Jesus in the Bible, because we start to see his tenderness we see his tenderness operate in those stories, maybe we start to think that he could be trusted with our brokenness. We see Jesus, the way he is tender with the broken, with the outcasts, with the weak. Maybe we start to trust that Jesus would indeed restore us as well. And by the way, listen, when, when Jesus here is speaking of the brokenhearted, he's talking about all of us, Right? All of us were created and wired to live in a perfect world. In the Garden of Eden is what we were designed to live in. This perfect place that God created for human beings to, to thrive in. We long for that kind of existence, but instead we are born into a world of brokenness, of fallenness. And so when Jesus talks about the brokenhearted, he means all of us. In fact, my biggest concern when writing this talk was, was that basically those of us who grew up in church and don't have a dramatic testimony, we can mistakenly think that restoration isn't something that we need. It's for other people. But that's not true. We all need that kind of restoration. And believing that we don't is why far too many people who call themselves Christians are, are stuck and can't see our deep need to allow Jesus to restore us in our broken places, which is really tragic because God's restoration is for all of us. All of us need what Jesus offers because he offers a holistic healing of our hearts, our minds, our souls. And it's part of why I'm so excited to spend the rest of this year in our Luke series because 
We're going to see story after story of Jesus bringing restoration to one person after person after another person and story after story after story. All these pictures of Jesus bringing restoration. And in Luke 8, we're going to meet a a woman named Mary Magdalene. And she is such a powerful picture of the restoration that Jesus brings to us that I want to mention her in the story, uh, in the message today. Um, Because Mary was a deep recipient of the restoration of Jesus. Um, If we meet her, the first place we hear about her is Luke chapter 8, verse 1. says this, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Just, whoa, whoa, time out, stop right there, wait. Uh, hang on, um, Jesus had to cast out seven demons? I mean, this Mary of Magdala must have been a mess, <laughs> before Jesus brought restoration to her. And we don't know a ton about her story, but just that one detail that she was oppressed by seven demons, that's a pretty good indication that her life was very, very hard, that she must have lived with so much torment. Certainly her heart was broken, shattered. And apart from Jesus, she would have been without hope. And the Bible doesn't, like, give us the exact story of her deliverance, but we know this for sure just in that mention that Jesus had set her free, and she was forever changed. How many of you are familiar with the, uh, the series The Chosen? The Chosen? I, I just recommend checking it out. Um, it's, so, it's so good. See, the writers of this multi-season um, uh, series that you can watch for free, uh, they do such a great job of imagining some of the things that we don't know. Like, they're filling in details. They're like, hey, we don't know if this is true. We're just trying to fill in the details between what the gospel does say is true. And for me, I think it adds texture and depth uh, to what might have happened in the stories of the people around Jesus. And in the very first episode, um, the writers go through and they just imagine um, what perhaps the story of Mary's life and deliverance could have looked like. We see that torment engulfs her life. She's visited by different religious leaders, including Nicodemus, uh, who, although he seems like he genuinely cares about her, he realizes he's powerless to cast out her demons, and he recognizes, he says, only God could help someone as bad off as she is. So that episode ends, um, and at the end of that episode, she does encounter Jesus. He calls her by name. He calls her Mary. And completely stunned that someone knew her real name, she turns to look at Jesus. Her darkness is pierced, the demons are cast out, and she is restored. She is free. That's the first episode. And the next episode happens uh, just a few days later. And in the short clip that we're about to see, um, Mary runs into Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and He knows who she is from trying to cast out her demons and being unsuccessful, but she has no recollection of just meeting him. So watch their conversation here. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? 
He performs miracles and seeks no credit? Well, what does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I love that. Again, this wasn't written in the Bible, but that's believable. She says, I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. See, that's the power of restoration. And many of us at some level, we can relate. Some of us know the radical difference that Jesus made in our life's trajectory, especially if we do have a you know, good testimony. Um, you, you might say I was one way and then completely different. And Hope Family, Jesus offers to enter into our individual stories. He offers us restoration. We say yes to Jesus. We turn our hearts toward him the best we understand. And he begins bringing healing to all of us, including to our hearts. And make no mistake, <laughs> It's a journey, right? There's usually a process involved. There's no magic formula where suddenly, poof, like everything is perfect and life just becomes simple and easy. No, even when Jesus does give us dramatic change, um, gives us a dramatic testimony, there's a process of transformation and healing that often takes a long time. And none of us ever arrives. None of us is perfect, but the restoration that Jesus brings to our individual stories, well, it makes all the difference in the world. We can say, I was one way, and now I'm completely different. Check out some of these stories. I was one way. I was depressed, suicidal, lonely, full of self-hatred, stressed, a control freak, a gossip, but now I'm another way. I am content, I am full of hope. I allow others to love me and I love myself and I'm full of a peace that is completely unexplainable. I was one way, but now I'm another and the thing that happened in between was Jesus. Hi everyone, my name is Troy. I wanna share a little bit of my journey I grew up in a broken and unhealthy home. I moved out when I was 15 and I started using drugs to avoid my pain. By my mid-20s, I was a single father. I was struggling with relationships, a fear of failure, and a sense that I was on my own. My transformation was not instantaneous, but when I opened myself up to hearing from God, I began to realize that I wasn't alone. I didn't have to be afraid and that he loved me. It is difficult to describe, but the best way I can say it is, before I met Jesus, I was trying to do it all on my own. Now I know God is always there, and I continue to trust in God's love for me and for all of us. I was one way, 
and now I'm another. I was insecure, fearful, abused, traumatized, desperate for love and acceptance. I felt betrayed and I betrayed back. I medicated my pain. I was angry, scared, alone, defenseless, defensive, and felt worthless. That's the way I was. But now I'm another way. I'm accepted, loving, healed, and being healed. I'm passionate and compassionate. I have a concern for justice and mercy, and I'm experiencing love and grace. And now I'm faithful and peaceful. I'm able to care about others and able to say I'm sorry. I'm living loved by God. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him, was Jesus. Friends, this is so beautiful. And I know each one of these three people really well. Heidi's my wife, the last one on the screen. I know her well. Troy in the middle has been one of my best friends since I moved here to Arizona over 20 years ago. Brittany is a good friend. She has to put up with me in the office every day. Will you, like, know the real deal, right? Um, and I know each of them, and none of them would say that, you know, now that they came to Christ, life is perfect, everything is easy, but they have not forgotten the hope that they have in this Jesus who changed their story, restored them to a life worth living because it's real. Like the change back then when they went from darkness to light, it's real. But it didn't just stop back then because the journey they are on now today to walk with God into deeper restoration and transformation continues and I can tell you from up close, it's incredible. It's incredible, and it's real. And when they, and I know this is true for many of you as well, when you said yes to Jesus, friends, you got more than just a ticket into heaven when you die. You got more than just forgiveness of sins. Yes, you did receive that. But some of you trusted Jesus, and you also trusted him to restore you, to heal your broken heart and set you free. Because remember, it was this Jesus himself. He made the offer. He said, I've come with good news for the poor, the outcasts, the, the not good enoughs. I came with healing for the brokenhearted, for people who are oppressed, living like prisoners, people living in the dark who are blind and unable to see. I have come, says Jesus, to set you free. And again, Hope Family. That offer is for all of us in all of the parts of us. So then, what area of your life needs to experience the restoration that Jesus offers? Like just think of something in your life that's not working or it's broken. What part of your history, your sin, that accident, that mishap, that mistake... That relationship that broke you or harmed you needs to be named. The abuse done to you or by you. See, God's not surprised by any of it. His heart of mercy is 
with you and for you. And God is inviting you to begin your journey into freedom in any of the areas where you have not yet begun to trust his transformation and restoration. So you can trust Jesus. And we'll see this as we go through this series. You can trust Jesus to begin that process to heal and restore you. See, restoration is available for the parts of our hearts that have been battered and torn by the work of the enemy. Restoration for the parts of our hearts that have been assaulted by the sins of others. And even there is restoration for the damage we have done to ourselves because of our own choices and our own sins. And again, it's not like Jesus waves a magic wand and poof, everything's better. No, most of the time there's a journey and he invites you on the journey and he's with you in the journey. And so for some of us, um, that journey into deeper healing and restoration will mean getting into groups um, or classes. Um, uh, if you're coming to painful, um, <laughs> if you're coming to grips with painful parts of your story that you maybe haven't yet faced or wanted to face, you might need help to sort through all of this. Um, prayer ministry, spiritual direction can be a huge part of moving deeper into restoration. Um, I, personally, I'm a big believer in, in counseling. And turning to a counselor is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. In fact, it takes great courage. And I know from personal experience that taking that step can be life-changing and bring restoration. Um, if you're struggling with addiction, a Christ-centered support group is crucial in your journey toward restoration. And if you're not sure where to start, our staff here, we don't have all the answers. We're not professional counselors, but we can listen and then we can help point you in some directions. So reach out and, and ask we would love to walk alongside you and help you find the place that takes you into some deeper restoration. But again, the question there, what is an area of your life that needs to receive the restoration that Jesus offers? What's something that's broken? Maybe let's ask it this way. In what area of my life is God inviting me into deeper restoration? And then just sit and listen because he'll surface it. He'll surface it. And again, hear me, we all need restoration. We, we need more than heaven when we die. Jesus came to restore us, all parts of us, our body, our heart, our mind, our spirit, our relationships. There's a holistic restoration. And I just can imagine, even right now, Jesus whispering to many of this, us, if this is new to you, I just imagine him whispering to so many of us, hey, hey, listen, this is why I've come. I do want to restore you. I want to set you free. See, that's the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim. Worship team, will you come? That's the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim. It's the offer that he holds out to each and every single one of us. And we can take him at his word. We can say yes to this path of healing to this restoration that Jesus came to bring to all of us, in all parts of us. And as we sing this song, um, you can sing along, or maybe you just need to sit with that question and ask God, in what area of my life, 
God, are you inviting me into deeper restoration? Will you open your heart, friends? Even in these moments as we close, will you open your heart and allow the presence of the Holy Spirit now to have access to all of you? Jesus, we open our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, come. We trust you to move where you want. We entrust ourselves. We make room for you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come.